everyone, this is Shannon, and we are so close to our next big event, Night to Shine. Uh, this will be the second year that Bridges hosts Night to Shine on our campus, and if you have not been involved in this event before, it is February 9th this year, and it is a prom-like event for those in our community with disabilities, ages 16 and older. Uh, if you go to bridges.info and scroll down to the service opportunities section, and then scroll down to the Night to Shine article, there will be a link that you can click on to view the different service opportunities, and it will take approximately 600 volunteers to make this night happen. And we are 20% of the way, so still lots of opportunities for you to help us. Um, also on that page where the link is, there's a GoFundMe button, and you can give some monetary donations toward our event, which takes over $20,000 to put on this event. Uh, you can also write a check and put Night to Shine in the memo line and stick it in the offering box, or do your regular giving and click on the Compassion tab and scroll down to the Night to Shine button. I hope, most of all, that you'll be praying that uh, that evening there's no rain, but also anyone and everyone that walks onto this campus will feel God's love. They will feel his presence and um, the true meaning of the night, which uh, is that they are made in God's image and that they are his creation made for a purpose. So pray with me and I hope we'll see you there. Morning and welcome to Bridges Community Church. Thanks for joining us this morning. Let's begin our time by entering into a time of worship through song. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? 
of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saints, let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, will be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing, even so come, Lord Jesus, All will be new, your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride, like a bride waiting for her room, will be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King. Church, thanks for joining us for worship this morning. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we are just so thankful that we can gather together here, that we can sing together, that we can worship together. 
Now, last song we just sang was actually um, the song we used to start the Advent season. And if you're not familiar with that word, Advent is that time leading up to Christmas. The word Advent means waiting and arrival. And so we were waiting for the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. But I also mentioned that we're in a constant season of Advent because we are awaiting the return of Jesus. And so we celebrated Christmas together. We celebrated that first coming of Jesus. And now we're reminded that we are waiting once again for Jesus to return a second time. And what, a, what an exciting time that is to wait. And I'm also reminded in this season as we kind of close out the official Advent and go into the rest of the year that uh, even while we're waiting, we know how the story ends. We know what's going to happen. Jesus will return and he will be victorious. So let's continue to sing together because he's already won.
students to join Ms. Alba in the back while Johanna comes up to read our scripture for this morning. From Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, treating, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, 
But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And all three, on all these, those commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Today we begin our 40-day focus for 2024. Um, we've done one of these all-church studies for the last few years um, where all of our life groups align around the same material, and that material is connected with our sermon series, everyone diving in for six weeks um, on a topic that we as leadership believe deserves some special attention. This year, we're studying why Christians may not feel at home in our current cultural moment, um, especially since for some of us, not all of us, but some of us feel like there has been a sizable shift in just the last few years in what maybe we could call the national conscience and how it has separated even more from traditional Christian beliefs and values. That's in media and entertainment, in the workplace, in politics, and in academic institutions. There seems to be less alignment with Christianity than there used to be. Now, if you're on the younger end of the age spectrum, um, we mentioned this in our week one video, but if you are, I don't know, 30, 35, and under, you may not have noticed the change in our country as much because this, the way it is now, is all you've ever known, right? So you may not be particularly bothered by the way things are right now. And you may not really get it when other generations talk about and they say something like they feel like they have lost their country to some extent or when they feel unsettled by our increasingly pluralistic society. It may not make sense to you when they feel that way and they say things like that. So I'll try to help. Um, the generations who have been around um, in, for a while um, and have memory of the past, they have lived experiences when Christianity and Christian values were more represented in things like policies and national leaders in media, like, for instance, they remember when television shows 
and church sermons largely preach the same message. So you watch a show on Saturday night, it has a moral to the story, and then you come to church on Sunday, and it's pretty much the same lesson. And then even when cultural centers, we could call them, like academic institutions, media empires, political candidates, even if those cultural centers didn't agree with Christianity, they would at least give lip service to Christianity. Christianity wasn't ostracized by them like it can be today sometimes. Um, And the generations who lived through those previous decades miss those days. They long for them. That's not to say that they think this country used to be perfect. Almost no one thinks that. Um, The people who lived through the last four, five, six, eight decades very much understand the U.S. was never a Christian utopia. One obvious example, there, um, uh, previous generations, I'd say, are more aware than younger generations that the racial injustice of the past did not align with Christian values. They're more aware of it than younger generations because they lived through it. And the people in those generations were the ones who worked to bring us more in line with the Bible on those matters or later repented for not doing so, right? But they would say, they would also say, well, while our culture has moved towards Scripture in some ways, which they're happy about, we have moved away from Scripture in far more ways. That's how they feel. And even if you're on the younger end of the generation spectrum and you weren't around for what it used to be like, you, you still have some hint of what we're talking about because you, even you, instinctively know how to navigate your world as a Christian. You have picked up, for instance, when people believe that it would be appropriate for you to talk about your faith, and when it isn't. You know how to play the game. You know how to be part of a church and yet avoid being antagonized by the world. You have noticed, even younger folks, you have noticed that the culture in which you live and the church culture are not the same. In fact, in many ways, they're contradictory. They are on the opposite sides of any number of issues. And there are times and places that you know you are supposed to keep quiet about your beliefs. You may not have thought about it very much because it's just the world that you were born into, but you have picked up on these social cues of our day nonetheless. And what the people around you who are not on the younger end of the scale, would tell you, what they would tell you is there are more ways that the church and culture in general are opposed today than there used to be. More places where Christianity is not welcomed, not celebrated, than there used to be. Or it feels that way to some of them. So what are we supposed to do if our beliefs are not supported by many of those around us? Or what is God's plan here for us in this time when those in power don't always make the policy decisions that we think that they should? Should we bail on our culture? Should we flee to somewhere else that uh, we hope would be more supportive of our beliefs? Or instead of bailing, should we try to force people in our culture to follow our beliefs like we sometimes feel forced to follow the belief of others? Or should we just keep our head down and stay quiet, just try to make the best of it? 
Or is there a different approach that is neither bailing, nor overpowering, nor staying quiet? How do we live in this kind of place and time? How should we live in a place that isn't home? That's our series. The Bible actually has a lot to say about this topic. Um, And when it does, it often uses the term exile for people who live away from home, who feel like a fish out of water, who don't feel totally comfortable in their setting, who long for their culture to be different, who know this world isn't as it should be. The Bible describes people in that position as being in exile, hence the name of our series, Exiled. And properly understanding how the Bible says to live when we are in exile is hugely important as we enter 2024. For your individual peace, which we'll talk about some today, for how we interact with our neighbors, we'll talk about that in a future week, for our unity as a church, this is what we need to study. So if you're not in a life group, uh, you have five weeks left. Um, Even if you missed group today, it'll be worth participating for the remaining weeks. Um, All the videos will remain online so you or your group can catch up um, if you miss one. To kick us off today, we're starting in, as you heard read, Hebrews chapter 11. And the book of Hebrews was written to people who were in a situation and they wondered, if we are following Jesus, why isn't it easier Why do we face so many headwinds in our culture? And then throughout the book of Hebrews, you'll find many encouragements to keep going. Don't give up, even when it's hard, even when you're unpopular, even when your beliefs are sneered at. Just stay faithful. And then you come to Hebrews chapter 11, and the author names people from the Old Testament who faced similar difficulties, if not worse, and they overcame them. The chapter in the Bible has been referred to as the Hall of Faith. It's like the Hall of Fame, but for people of the faith. It commends people from uh, well-known Old Testament passages. People like Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, David, Samuel, who were heroes, basically. Even though they were terribly flawed, broken people, of course, like all of us, they nonetheless, through God's redeeming work in their lives, they stand out and shine even to the extent that we still name our kids after some of them today. That's Hebrews 11. But Hebrews 11 also helps us properly frame the idea of exile, which will be hugely helpful to us in our current setting. So as we study this chapter, this is just an introduction to the series. We won't answer all the questions today uh, for how we can live in our culture. That's, That's why we have a whole series, right? So come back for the next five weeks. But today in Hebrews 11, we will see who experiences exile, and then we'll ask, for which home are we really waiting? Who experiences exile, and what are we really longing for when we are in exile? So first, who experiences exile? This will either be comforting or really discouraging. All believers since the garden experience exile. Ever since humanity left paradise with God, we have been in exile. The common misconception about exile is that it is only a temporary condition that only some people experience. But that is incorrect. 
Instead, exile is the condition of all people, all the time, back to nearly the beginning. Now, there's good reason uh, why we have the misconception that exile only affects some people for a limited time, right? In biblical history, Israel was exiled into captivity in Babylon for 70 years, and then they returned to the land. And when they did, they rebuilt the temple in their society. And that story is a major plot point in the narrative of the Bible. So that exile was temporary, and it did only affect some people. But the Israelites being exiled from their land and then returning to their land isn't the only exile and homecoming the Bible describes. In fact, Israel's exile and homecoming is a shadow. It's an example. It gives us a model, a living model of the much larger exile and homecoming that every believer experiences. So, for instance, here in Hebrews 11, all the saints, really, of the Old Testament are called strangers in exile. The author has gone through this big list of people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, etc. And then he says, verse 13, they're all exiles, which might be surprising because someone, I mean, it says none of them received what was promised. And then you look at the list and you're like, some of those people make sense that it didn't, they didn't receive what was promised. And some of them, I'm not sure what maybe he's talking about because Noah Noah didn't receive what was promised. It seems like Noah received everything that God said would happen. So what was he waiting on that was yet to be fulfilled? But yet, he's listed as an exile. Didn't receive everything that was promised. And the author lists more people. Moses, David, Samuel, the prophets, like all the prophets. And then verse 39, none of them made it home either. They're all waiting, all of them. Noah, David, Samuel, Ezekiel, all waiting for a future homecoming, like we are. We're all kind of waiting together. It should be, it should blow apart the idea that any culture can be our home. No matter how aligned the societal norms are with scripture, that society is still not our home. You could take Samuel, for instance, right? He's in this list, right, of Hebrews 11. But I mean, Samuel was never cast out of Israel. He lived there his whole life, and he basically commanded great cultural power, right? I mean, the king listened to him. He was never really questioned. He stands for what he believed was right, and everybody in the whole nation pretty much falls in line. And yet, even him, who didn't feel like a fish out of water for the same reasons we do, he still felt like a fish out of water in his culture. He is still listed as an exile, it should tell us the ultimate homecoming of God's people is not about having cultural dominance or cultural respect. Neither is the ultimate homecoming about, you know, living in the little 200-mile strip of land at the east end of the Mediterranean. There is a different home God has prepared for us. And until we are really in that home, we will always feel like strangers and exiles on this earth. What that means for us, how it helps us process our current moment, is that when we feel like a, out of fish out of water here, when we look at our society and we're sad, and we say, this isn't the way it ought to be, 
which we should do. We should be sad. One of our weeks is going to be about lamenting exile, so lament away. Older generations might lament backwards, saying, you know, we used to be closer to the way it ought to be. Younger generations might lament forward, right? They tend to care deeply about matters of injustice and inequity. They have a vision for what they think is right, and they want to work toward that end. But regardless of what generation you are in, or if you fit neatly into the category of one of them, all of us have probably some angst that something is wrong. None of us feel totally comfortable with the way the world is. All of us feel like there is some invisible force against us when we try to fix this place. And when we feel like that, and we all feel like that some, we are experiencing what every generation of believers has felt since God started redeeming humans. It goes all the way back to the garden, all the way back to our earliest ancestors who walked away from God, who walked away from their true home. And in that way, our moment in history is not that unusual. So to be as clear as I can, it's not as if Christians were at home 50 years ago in this country. And then sometime over the last few decades, we slid into exile as if we used to be in the promised land and now we're not, and we need to get it back somehow. It is not that. Neither is it that God is punishing us for something, like we've lost God's favor, and he's saying, oh yeah, past generations should have been more faithful to me in my word, and if they had, then believers today would have more cultural respect. Not it. Right? First, if you're a Christian, you can't lose God's favor. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. If you are in Christ, you always have God's favor. So whatever is happening to you is happening to build you up for your good. So we're not in exile because, you know, God is teaching us a lesson. But secondly, and more to the point of the text, the author of Hebrews writes to Christians who are under severe persecution, who are wondering, why is this so hard? Doesn't Jesus love us? Isn't he supposed to make a way for us? And the author of Hebrews tells that group of Christians, hey, this is how it's really always been and will always be. Believers have never been totally in sync with any culture. Cultural powers have always sneered at our beliefs and rejected authentic Christianity to some degree. Fifty years ago, Christian leaders who fought for civil rights faced enormous pressure to conform to societal norms, and oftentimes it was other Christians who were against them, unfortunately. Today, Christians are sneered at for our view on marriage, manhood, womanhood, among other things. Fifty years from now, it'll be something else. It's not unusual. The author of Hebrews says we are in this long line of believers who faced comparable challenges. And the believers after us will experience the same thing, but different. And that's the way it will be until we are finally home. The people in the Hall of Faith had not lost favor and were therefore punished with these challenges. Right? That's the whole point. The author of Hebrews is saying the shining stars of the past had to deal with opposition. And sometimes pretty severe opposition. The author mentions things like, Mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment, stoned, sawed in two, right? The point is, you could be totally faithful and still be in exile. 
You could have done everything right and still be in exile. You can think about believers in other countries who deal with way more than we do, right? The church in Iran, the church in Nigeria, right? We just saw this massacre on Christmas Day of Christians in Nigeria. They, they didn't experience that opposition because they were unfaithful. In fact, goodness, Lord, please give me and all of us the faith of Christians who live in a place like that. Exile is a condition all believers have faced for the entire redemptive history of humanity. And it is a condition that will continue until we are home. Which leads us to the question, for which home are we waiting? What are we really longing for when we are in exile? That ache we have when we know things aren't right. What do we think will cure that ache? Self-evaluate here honestly. Because how you answer that question will reveal much about you and it will actually influence your ability to move out into the world with peace and grace. These people in the Hall of Faith, the author specifically says, they were not longing for a place to which they could return. Verse 16. In other words, they were not longing for the Israel they lost or the Israel they never had or the Israel they were currently in. They longed for somewhere else. If you only read the Old Testament, you might think Abraham longed for the land of Canaan, you know, to see his descendants live there. But verse 10, speaking of Abraham, Hebrews says he was, he was still looking forward to the city whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham was not only longing for a city that could be built by his descendants, he was waiting for the better one, the heavenly one, it actually says, verse 16. Or similar, similarly, Moses, you remember Deuteronomy 34, God takes Moses to the top of the hill so he can peer over into the promised land. But Moses never went in there himself. And if you only read Deuteronomy 34, you might think, poor Moses, he never made it, right? Talk about a tease. God's saying, let me take you up to the mountain so you can see the full extent of everything you'll never have. Moses, I want you to see every inch of what you won't get. The valleys, the rivers, the grass, the trees. Take it all in, buddy. But just before you can taste any of the fruit, guess what? You die. The end. That would be a sad story of unmet expectations if that was really what Moses longed for. But the author of Hebrews says the country Moses saw from the top of the hill was not the country for which Moses longed because he believed there was a better country which only God could provide. He longed for the country that he could not get to himself. He longed for when God would bring heaven to earth as it was in the beginning, when God would remake the world, the new heavens, the new earth, where there is no death or mourning, when God will wipe away every tear, where there is no hunger or poverty, when we live in complete harmony with one another and with God. That country, that's the one the people in the hall of faith longed for. And they believed that country would be the only place where the ache in their heart could be cured. Is that the one you're longing for? Is that what you think will cure the ache in your heart that you feel because you're in exile? 
Or are you longing for the America of 30 years ago or 50 years ago? Minus the racial injustice and other issues, of course. Or maybe you're not looking to the past. Maybe you long for an America that you think you can build through enough activism and campaigning. You think, if only we could build a country like that, then this longing in my heart would be fulfilled. Let me just tell you, there is no amount of activism or campaigning that will solve your angst. Think about it. Okay, even if you aren't a Christian and you just think everything we talk about in here is baloney, just think about it. Is there any country, any time in the history of the world that could make you feel totally at home where there's no problems? We give you a time machine. You can go forward, backward, whatever you want. You can go anywhere. Would anywhere, anytime be problem-free where you felt totally at home? Or do you realize that your heart needs a different answer? Do you need some supernatural intervention to create the home that you actually need? Do you realize humans have never created such a perfect society and never will be? Moses standing on top of the hill looking at the literal promised land was wise enough to say, that's nice, but that's not enough. That's not what I'm really longing for. I'm longing for the final resolution that only God can bring. And because he longed for the heavenly country, don't miss this, because Moses' heart was set on things above instead of things of this world, that is what enabled him to make a bigger difference in this world. Verse 27, he was able to accomplish what he did. I mean, it was incredible what he did. He liberated a whole nation out of slavery. But it says the reason he could do that was because he was focused on what was above, on his true country, where God would bring him. And therefore, he wasn't afraid of what Pharaoh might do to him if he worked to liberate his people. His focus on the future country freed him up to be bold and courageous in this one. C.S. Lewis has this great quote, uh, it's kind of long, but he says, C.S. Lewis, uh, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. Dreaming of heaven is not escapism or wishful thinking, but it is one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. If you read history, you will find the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next like Hebrews says Moses was. He continues, the apostles themselves who set the foot of conversion of, uh, uh, on foot, the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither, end quote. Now, if it's not immediately obvious why thinking about the next world will make you more effective in this one, I'll try to help. Imagine that you're really sure of the end of the story, really sure. You know for a fact God will reunite heaven and earth. 
that all the wrongs will be set right, that all the sad things will come untrue. If you are certain of that future, then you can work toward it with gentleness and respect, with peace in your heart. You won't need to try to force anything. Forcing, not forcing something will make you more effective. On the other hand, if you don't know what the future holds, if you think it's possible that the future could be ruined beyond repair, then any little bump in the road is going to send you into an existential crisis. It's one of the reasons why our politics gets so heated today. People on both sides of the aisle believe this world is all there is. They believe the future will be ruined beyond repair if they don't get their way. So, of course, everything, by definition, then, becomes an existential threat. All their eggs are in the one basket of this present age. So when they feel that basket is in jeopardy, of course they lash out to try to protect it. They fly off the handle. They become unglued. They can justify any type of behavior because they think it's needed in order to save the world. It's why we see so much vitriol and scorn and scorched earth. It's, it's how people behave when they think their only hope is at risk of being lost. And unfortunately for them and all of us, behaving that way just makes everything worse. But Christians don't need to fall into that because this world is not our only hope. Our hope is secure in the future that God will bring. We look forward to his country and therefore we can engage with those around us with confidence and poise and grace. Nothing is an existential threat for us. There's no reason we should ever come unglued We've seen the end of the story like we just sang about. We can't lose anything. So we're not subject to any of the fear-mongering we see by activists. And for that reason, we can be more effective in bringing about changes. Or you can think of Jesus. No one who has ever lived who was more sure of the future reunion of heaven and earth than Jesus was. And... No one has ever done as much good in this world as he did. He poured out all of himself for others. He took our sin upon himself on the cross. He died in our place knowing he was completely confident that everything it cost him on the cross would be returned. He knew the resurrection would happen. He knew no matter how much it hurt, the hurt could not compare to the glory that the pain would produce. It's Hebrews 12, actually. He looked to the joy on the other side of the cross. He looked forward to being reunited with us and our sin forg forgiven. He could see that future. He believed it was real. And so he endured the cross, Hebrews 12 says. It was because he was sure of the future that he surrendered everything for our benefit. And if that lands in your heart, you can then pour yourself out to benefit your neighbor, knowing that whatever you spend to help others, whatever it costs you, is never really lost. You'll have 10,000 million more times waiting for you in the future that God will bring. And that's how we change the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for going before us to prepare a home for us. 
I pray that we would be captivated with the future you are building that is sure and certain. May we be filled with peace instead of worry, hope instead of anxiety, grace instead of anger. May we work faithfully to build toward the future that we know is so secure, Lord. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the symbols, of course, that Christ has given his church um, for us to remember his work on our behalf on the cross, how he poured out all of himself, is by taking communion. Um, And at Bridges, we traditionally uh, take communion the first Sunday of the month. Um, And so in just a minute, our ushers um, are going to pass trays down our aisles. Um, And I would encourage you to hang on to that. Um, cup until I come back up here, and then we will all take um, the bread and the cup together. Um, In the early church, communion was a meal, and everybody sat around a huge table or in halls and had it together. Um, And so, um, in, in memory of that early communion, sometimes we encourage you to just pause so we can all take it together as if we were all eating a meal at the same time. At Bridges, of course, we do not believe that communion is what uh, forgives you um, or reunites you with God. We believe it is a symbol showing what Christ did on our behalf in order to save us on the cross.
On the night Jesus was betrayed, he had a final meal with his disciples. And after the meal, um, he took the bread from the table, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for Jesus who did pour out everything for us. And thank you, Lord, for the resurrection where everything is returned to him, including us, Lord, reconciled to you through his sacrifice on our behalf. We, re we rejoice over his work and give thanks in his name. Amen. Paul reminds us, or he tells us that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And think about this verse as we sing this next song that we might become the righteousness of God. That is Christ's righteousness given to us, so that as we stand before the throne of God, God sees Christ in us. Not our weakness, but Christ's righteousness. Would you stand as we sing this together?
patient merit, firm in life and death. The joy of my salvation shall be my final breath. And when I stand accepted before the throne of God, I'll gaze upon my Jesus and thank Him for the cross. Yes, I'll Thanks for worshiping with us today, friends. We're so glad that you have chosen to start a new year uh, by being here today. And we do hope that you've been encouraged and challenged. Some of you were sharing outside on the patio before the service that you enjoyed some of the discussion from the videos and this new 40-day study. And we're so glad to hear that. We want to help you process uh, these uh, sermons and the study itself or to pray for you in whatever way that we can as leaders. You can always go to bridges.info if you have questions about how to be a part of a group. We want everybody here in the church to be a part of a small group of people here within the church that can help us to walk out our faith and to encourage us and to pray for us and to do all the one another's in scripture uh, that uh, God calls us to. So you can learn how to do that by going to bridges.info. You'll find all kinds of uh, ways to connect. You'll find out about upcoming events. And of course, you've got tables out in the lobby as well to be able to learn about some of those uh, things. But if we can pray for you in any way as leaders, please don't hesitate to ever ask. And we've got five more weeks of this study. We do hope that you'll join us for uh, what God is going to do. I think you'll be encouraged and challenged. Um, I want to just take a moment to wrap up something that we did in November and December and just sort of put a little bow on it, so to speak, uh, with regards to how many of you served and gave in our Christmas and holiday outreach through the Salvation Army. Some of you uh, have been aware that um, the Salvation Army is a very important ministry uh, and organization in the life of this church, and some of you participated in a variety of ways over the holidays and want to know, how did we do? How did, how did the Salvation Army do? As you recall, we had three different ways for people to be able to specifically serve. We had uh, an opportunity for people to adopt a family through the Salvation Army, and there were, through this church, 12 different families that were adopted. Uh, we had eight life groups uh, that specifically uh, adopted families. We had three uh, individuals 
who chose to do that on their own. Praise God. That's just amazing. If that's you, thank you for that. And then we had uh, one family that did so. So 12 different families were blessed in a significant way through your generosity. You also remember we had the, the giving tree out there where there were 80 ornaments at the beginning of November that were placed out there. Each of those ornaments represented a gift card that we were going to commit to purchase for different individuals through the Salvation Army, and all 80 of those ornaments were collected, so thank you to make sure that people got those gift cards. Uh, and then also with the ringing of the bell over the last couple months, you know that every time that somebody rings the bell for the Salvation Army, it's an opportunity for people to give. And through that uh, contribution, people get fed, people get clothed, people have shelter. And many of you helped out with that. And so thank you for your investment of time. I'm told that the Sunnyvale core of the um, that chapter uh, specifically that we were helping out with with the Salvation Army raised more than eighty thousand uh, dollars during the holiday. So praise God for that. I I just want to say a special thank you to all of you, and of course I do want to say thank you once again to Paul and Kate Tokar for their leadership and helping coordinate all of this. Where are you, Paul and Kay? Oh, yeah, I see Kay right over there. Paul's perhaps hiding there behind Jane Herman. I see you, the guys there. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Really, it means the world. Well, we have, as many of you know, an opportunity this month uh, for some of us to be a part of a special mission trip I'm going to be a part of with 21 other individuals uh, that uh, are leaving this week to go down to Baja, Mexico, and to build two houses. We thought we were only going to build one, but we have so many people, and some of you have given so generously that we're now going to build two in two days. That's right. Two houses in two days. We uh, leave, the bulk of the group leaves on Thursday. I drive down on Wednesday. The rest of the group will be flying down on Thursday. We'll be in Mexico on Thursday evening. Friday, Saturday, we build this week. And then uh, next Sunday, we'll be in the Tijuana area uh, doing an outreach to many, many people in that area. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And Alba Collegian has been helping put that together. There's going to be carnival booths. There's going to be food and just an exciting uh, opportunity for us to show God's love to people in a practical way there. And then we come back on Martin Luther King uh, holiday uh, there on that Monday. So thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. I'm going to invite those who happen to be in the room who are going on this trip to join me down here in the front because we want to have sort of a prayer of commissioning. So um, not all 22, I think, are here today for different reasons, but uh, they're going to come down here to the front. We're going to pray for them. You can still give uh, towards this effort. Perhaps you'd like to donate a door or a window or a fuse box or some other kind of need. All of the money goes towards uh, helping this trip happen. Yeah, going ahead and spread out here along the front. Is this it? Like, I know we had 22 of us. Well... Uh, we're grateful for these folks that are here, but if you want to contribute, you can go to bridges.info, go to the giving page, and then there's a drop-down menu, short-term missions, 
fund and you can designate your gift in that way and we really do appreciate that. I want to say thanks to these folks who are going. We have a wonderful intergenerational uh, team. Uh, we've got several teenagers who are going. We've got some college and young adult folks who are going and then we've got some people who are a little bit more seasoned uh, like myself and a couple of these other adults. We've got some parents and students. It's just going to be amazing. So please be praying for us. I would invite us to now bow our heads in a word of prayer and invite you to please pray for this team. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this awesome reminder today that you have called us to walk with you in faith and in hope and to recognize, Lord, that this world is not our home, Lord, that you've called us to something uh, much better, and Lord, we long for that. Um, Lord, we thank you for this team of people, this, uh, the 22 who are going to be going, Lord willing, down to uh, Bahat this Thursday, this week. We ask that you'd go before us. We've been praying as a team, and Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would stir in others' hearts to pray, God, that you would uh, provide us with favor as we go, helping us with all the logistics and the travel and um, all of the things that uh, there can be curveballs along the way. Help us, Lord, to be flexible and to adjust. But more than that, Lord, we're going to get to build a house for two families, and we're going to get to spend time with these families, and we're going to get to see um, people uh, get fed, Lord, through the contributions of people uh, as we're going to be distributing food. We're going to be sharing the gospel. We're going to hear testimonies from different team members. We're going to be doing an outreach uh, on Sunday uh, in Tijuana, Lord. I pray that you would use each of these efforts to draw people to yourself. We, we are not the ones who can draw people to you, Lord. It's you. It's your spirit. And we ask that you would fill each one of us uh, with your spirit. I ask, Lord, that, that you would protect us as this is a season of much illness and, and um, colds and uh, other things that are going around, Lord. I, I just pray that you would protect us from COVID, Lord, that you'd protect us from other uh, illnesses. I pray that you'd give us stamina and favor uh, as we work with Baja Christian Ministries. Um, Lord, thank you for that faithful ministry there, those who serve in Tijuana and Rosarito and Tecate, Lord, we look forward to being with them and bringing back a wonderful report. Thank you again, Lord, for the efforts through the Salvation Army. Lord, over the holidays, we say to God be the glory for what you've done. Father, we as your people need you. Be with us this week in such a tangible way, Lord, that um, Lord, you would shine through us, Lord, and that we would walk abiding in you every step of the way. Lord, we love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have a great rest of your day. Thank you, everybody.